Everybody stand up. This Baptist church is going to get a little excited this morning. <laughs> Sorry, can't handle the funeral on Sunday morning. So uh, everybody stretch, stretch, stretch it out. Come on, shake it out. All the uh, that everybody's feeling. Come on. Stretch out. All right, everybody say, I am ready, I am ready. To, learn. to learn. I am ready, I am ready. to hear. I am ready to receive. Now sit down. Get your Bible out. Come on, church. I don't know, I don't know what you're used to, but, uh, I have no desire to be religious. Um, so we really just take it seriously here at Livermore Fellowship. Uh, 1st John chapter 5. We're wrapping up a series this morning that we have been uh, going about 12 weeks through 1st John. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one around you somewhere. I would recommend you follow along. 1st John's near the end of the Bible, just a few books away from Revelation. If you didn't receive an outline, lift your hand up. We'll get one to you. Did everybody get one of those this morning? Great, 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 great. So you guys are going to shout this morning. See, man, I tell you what, I uh, I remember the days where Pentecostal churches were loud because the Holy Spirit was flowing, you know. So uh, and uh, as Pentecostals, we teased the quiet churches. I wouldn't recommend that, but that's what we did anyway. And so uh, so I have no desire to just be part of um, a boring church service. Got some work to do. All right. I'm up for the challenge, Liz. I'm going to do it this morning. All right. So Gordon brought up a great point. We're, we're going to watch this video he's talking about next Sunday. But the key verse that Gordon referenced was Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And it's really powerful. And actually what he just said, I had never even thought of before. So I learned already this morning. And that verse in Second Chronicles, what's happening is the Israelite nation is just getting pounded by the enemy and by all kinds of stuff happening, disease and just they're starving. There's all this awful stuff happening. And the people are going to God and they're saying, what is going on here? We are we're, we're everything bad. My, our lives are falling apart. Anybody relate to that kind of situation? Their lives are falling apart. And God says that. If you will simply, as my people, humble yourselves and pray, all this stuff will go away. And as Gordon brought up, thank you, Gordon, God was talking to Christians. Now, obviously, this is before Jesus. We understand that. But his people, not the Philistines or the Moabites or the Amorites. He was talking to the Israelites, his people. God is talking to Christians today. This book of 1 John that we've been reading is written to Christians. Now, that's huge if you think about it. Christians are called to a higher standard than non-Christians. Now, if you are not a Christian this morning, we welcome you. You're welcome here. We're glad you're here. But that we really are talking to Christians in church. Christians are learning how to do this. And so as we've read through this book of First John for the last 12 weeks, easy book to read, hard to accept sometimes. John is writing to Christians. 
And he's writing to them to tell them what a real Christian looks like. That's why we've called it shining a light on authentic Christianity. Because see, way back then when people were barbarians and lived in caves, people were fakers. They would say they're Christians, but they really weren't. They would say they loved Jesus, but they didn't know anything about Jesus. They would go to church and they would play all nice and wear the nice clothes and put the smile on their face. But really, nothing in their heart was different. And what was happening at that day, as we've talked about many times, is these teachers were coming in. Teachers, they were coming in and they were leading these fake Christians away. And the churches were starting to thin out because all the fakers was, were leaving. And what was happening was the real Christians were getting a little confused. These people are coming in and they're talking about Jesus and they're saying they're Christians. But yet what they're saying is different than what you said, John. John remembers an old man and he's planted these churches and they're like, Pastor John, you've been teaching us this thing about Jesus. But these other guys are saying this and they're talking about Jesus, too. So John writes this, basically this letter, this pamphlet, this brochure, and he sends it to all these churches and he lays it out for him. This is what a Christian looks like. This is what a Christian sounds like. This is what a Christian talks like. This is what a Christian does. This is what a non-Christian does. And his point was, this stuff that's being taught to you is wrong, false, negative not right. And John is backing this up with the fact that he was there. He was an eyewitness. He's the last few eyewitnesses alive at this time. And he's an old man as it is. So he's writing to these churches full of Christians. And he's saying, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. Gordon just brought up that this is a repetitive theme throughout Scripture. As a Christian, I believe a certain way. I have a worldview. I believe a certain thing. Okay? I can't just call myself a Christian and be a Christian. Christians don't just go to church. Lots of non-Christians go to church. Christians don't just, you know, have a Bible in their home. Lots of non-Christians have Bibles in their homes. Christians believe a certain way, act a certain way, live a certain way. The problem with the church today, and I don't mean living where fellowship because we're awesome, but I mean like the overall, all the body of Christ. The problem is it's been diluted because non-believers have come in and shaped the way Christians are doing it. And John would say, uh-uh, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Let me ask you a question. When a non-believer, somebody who does not believe Jesus is God's son, has never asked him into their heart and surrendered their life to them, that's a, that's a non-Christian. When they come into a worship service, how do they typically respond? Interaction. How do they respond? Give me some words. Deer in the headlights. How else? Uncomfortable. How else? These people are weird. Yeah, what's, what are they going singing this stuff? What, how else? They don't move. They're, they're usually like this, right? How else? Freaked out. Yeah, well, there's these words, and it's not insulting these people. It makes sense because they don't believe, and they're coming in, and they're hearing and seeing these people sing about something they don't know, and they're like, well, that's weird. So if Christians look the same way during worship, 
there's a problem. Do you see? This is not rocket science. It's clear. Christians act different. I love Bill Fallon. Man, I love Bill Fallon because Bill Fallon brings me back to my roots. You cannot shut Bill Fallon up about Jesus. Once that music, it doesn't even know if he knows the song or not. He's going to sing something. Once that song goes, once that beat goes, Bill Fallon's there. Now, you may not be as, you know, gregarious as Bill Fallon, but that doesn't mean you don't have something to contribute when Christians get together and worship. It should be when a non-believer comes into a church, they are the ones that are going, wow, all these people, I've never seen this before. It's a sign to unbelievers that Christians are getting together and there's power there. But because the non-believing world has infiltrated the church and the church has adopted that belief system, we've now made it to where there's no difference between a church service and a moose club meeting. They still have the moose club? Okay, I just want to make sure. Does, it, does everybody understand what I mean? And so as we've been reading John... John is using this language. If this is making you uncomfortable, I'm not trying to like pick fun at people or, or make people feel bad. I'm simply clarifying what we've been studying already as it is. There's a difference between a Christian and a non-believer. There's a difference. If you are, see, we don't force anybody. I, you want to know my motivation? To build a church that's different because there's enough junk out there. There's enough fakers out there. I want to build a church full of people that are just so excited about Jesus because he changed their life. And they come ready. And when non-believers happen to come in with us, they see it in action and they go, I want this. That's how I got saved. I saw how Christians were and I saw how I wasn't. And I said, I want that life. Anybody else been through that before? That's how I got saved. But if you're religious... You simply are going through the motions and therefore you can't manufacture excitement out of yourself. Your excitement levels based on how your week went, whether you got enough sleep Saturday night. I heard this this uh, quote. Listen to this. Religion says to earn life. Religion says to earn life, meaning what you do, what you Say how you earn it dictates the kind of life you have. That's religion. The world says create your life. You are what you build. You are what you put into it. Create yourself a great life. Jesus says receive life. That's the difference. What is Christianity? It's somebody who has heard the gospel message of Jesus and has believed it and received it. Receiving postures like this. I'm receiving from you. And when you really get it, when you really receive it, nothing will ever be the same again. So I want to encourage you as we're going forward as a church, let's receive this life and start to walk in it together. Start to walk in it. You know, I, nobody wants to be religious. Nobody tries to be religious. We fall into that pattern, all right? But the only way to get out of that pattern is to receive the good life that Jesus has and start to walk in it on a daily basis. 
then when you get together with other people who have received it as well on Sunday morning, it's just a good time. It's a party. It shouldn't be where we come in here and the drums start and we start feeling foreign. Whoa, what's this? You know, this church, we're not supposed to do that. Who said? Where did that rule come from? Amen? That was all free. That was all free this morning. So we've been reading through 1 John, and uh, we're going to read the last section of this book and wrap this up this morning. Let's start in verse 13. You follow along in your Bible. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that I've asked anything according to his will, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then John wraps it up by saying, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are so loving and kind that you have sent us a clear word to give us clear instructions about how to live the life that you have set aside for us. And that real love, Lord, is demonstrated that you didn't allow us just to live in darkness or brokenness, but you sent healing and light. And that all we have to do is believe and receive that and our lives can be dramatically different. So, Lord, this morning we have gathered as Christians, as your people, to to learn how to live this life. Help us, Lord, to see the difference between those who are your people and those who are not. And then help us fully live as your people and shine a light for those who are not. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. amen. Are you excited this morning? Are you sure? Okay, great. So let's look at verse 13. And uh, remember, John's writing the Christians. He's been going through this whole, basically a description of what a Christian life looks like. He said a Christian life, they love Jesus as God. They believe Jesus is the physical representation of God on earth. They hate sin and they love other people. That's pretty much what he's been saying so far. Now, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wrote this to Christians. There's your evidence right there. We've been saying it the whole book so far. I write this to those of you who believe Jesus is the Son of God. That's a Christian. John's not writing to non-believers here. He's writing to Christians. So when John says, listen, you need to love one another, it's understandable that the world may not do that. 
Christians, you have no option. When John says you need to keep yourself away from sin, it's understandable that a world that doesn't believe Jesus at all is not going to do that. Christians have no option. When John says, listen, do not judge the world. He's talking about the world is going to do what the world mentality is going to do. They're going to be selfish. They're going to be, uh, uh, they're going to only look out for their own benefit. They're going to, they're going to do whatever feels good. They're going to live on emotion. That's what a world mentality does. Christians have no option. The reason there are so many Christians who are living in sin is nobody's told them this. You can't do that. That doesn't work. That's a made up category. So John says, I'm writing all this stuff to you, Christians. I'm not writing to the world right now. I'm writing to you, Christians. So if you want to know how to be a Christian, this is the book you need. This is what it looks like. This is not the book to learn how to become a Christian. That would be the Gospels. This is a book to learn about how to be a Christian once you become one. Shining a light on authentic Christianity. So John writes and he says, I'm writing to those of you Christians. So that you may know that you have eternal life. You can be sure of it. You can be confident. Now, when he talks about eternal life, we've talked about this before in this church. He's not just talking about heaven after you die, although that's a part of it. He's talking about a quality of life right now, today on forward. When I became a Christian, my life began to change. Maybe yours did as well. To where now you're learning that I can have a different kind of life. Logically, it makes sense. If I'm out there getting chased by the police all the time, my quality of life is not going to be as high as if I'm doing the right thing. Christians do the right thing. Too many people are out there getting chased by the police. And then when the police catch them, they start using the name of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, you weren't calling out to him three days ago when he said, don't go doing that. Yeah, we need to change this. All right. So he says, I'm writing this to you, Christians, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that when you die on this earth, when you breathe your last, you will be in heaven. How can I know that? John has spelled it out for us. That's his purpose here. You don't have to live unsure. You don't have to live kind of sure. You can have confidence that your life is wrapped up in Jesus. How? Because I do the things that John has said to do. Now, John gets into basically three major categories of the Christian life. Prayer, holiness, and worship. And I want to show you how each of these works as we wrap up this uh, uh, series. We're going to start out with prayer. Prayer. Look at verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. This is how we know what we're praying for is going to work. That if we ask anything, everybody say anything. Anything means anything. Not a trick question right there. 
It's not, John's not trying to throw us off here. Anything means anything. If you ask anything, that's the confidence. He hears you. Now, John didn't say, if you ask anything of God, he will give it to you. That is not what John said. John could have said that, but he didn't. He added in three, four words, according to his will. This is where religion takes over right here, because people from a religious background who heard some Yahoo teaching incorrectly, they say, well, if it's not according to his will, this spooky spiritual thing out there, then God's not going to give it to me. So when I ask and he says, no, it's because it's not according to his will. Nope. Not what John said. How do I know something is according to God's will? How do I know that I'm asking God something that matches his will? I have to know his will. Where is his will? You've been, you've been taught correctly. The word is his will. This is his will. He's written it out for you and I. It's not a mystery what God's will is for your life. It's not something you have to seek and you have to grovel for or you have to go to some mountain in Tibet and you know become a monk to find. It's right here written for you. John said, this is the confidence we have when we pray. That anything we ask that matches this, he will hear us. And if he hears us, he will give it to us. Religion starts to put all these rules now. Well, come on now. You and I know that it's kind of, there's limitations to it. See, it's got to be spiritual stuff. Show me. I mean, I will believe that if someone would show it to me. John himself just said. I mean, I feel like I say this all the time to people. John said it. Anything you ask according to his will. Anything you ask that's in his word. Anything you ask that matches this. He will give it to you. Anything. Jesus came to earth as a physical representation of God. He represented God in every part of his life, the Bible says. Fully represented him. When you look at Jesus, you see God. Jesus came and lived in the same body we live in. In the same environment, he breathed oxygen. He had all the same things that we were involved in. He was fully a human being. But the difference was he lived without sin. Jesus could do things he could do because there was no sin holding him back. The problem isn't God withholding from you and I. It's sin is stealing from you and I. You and I can have everything Jesus had. We can do everything Jesus did. But sin gets in the way. That's why sin is such a major issue. When I pray, I'm not going up to God and trying to convince him. It's not like prayer is me going up to God and going, God, I know you're looking to destroy me today. But, you know, if I could just talk you out of it, if I could just change your mind. God, I know that I mean, I know I deserve such and such. But man, God, have mercy. God, I know that I know that 
uh, all this stuff's going on and that it's, it's probably your will for my life. But do you hear that unbelief in there? How should I pray? Very clear. I pray this. I pray this. Anything I asked for according to this book, I get anything. So let's say I want a wife. I have one. She's awesome. But let's say you want a wife. I find scripture to support that. The Bible says a one who finds a wife finds a good thing. So when I pray, I don't go, oh, God, I know you probably want me to be celibate. But I don't think I can do that. You know, that's not a prayer of faith. I say, God, your word says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Therefore, there's one out there for me. Thank you for it. It's common. She's common. And that's just one example of anything. If I pray according to scripture, according to his will written down for me, it can be mine. The reason Jesus could do everything he did is because he had no unbelief, no doubting, no sin. That's why I keep myself from sin. That's why Christians are told not to go near sin. Because sin will weigh down what I'm doing. Sin will destroy the will of God in my life. Sin will steal from me everything that God has for me. Religion says, look at the sinful life. Okay, that's where God wants you right now. That's religion. But the real biblical Christian life says, this is not where God wants me. This is what Jesus died to set me free from. I don't have to live in this life any longer. When I'm sick, I can say, thank you, Lord, that you're teaching me right now through this horrible disease that's rotting my body out. I can say that and make myself feel religious. Or I could go with what the word says. The word says that Jesus on the cross took every sickness and disease on the cross. That's what it says. So therefore, I can be healed if I stand on the word. It's the result of sin, either in my own life, in someone else's life, in the world I live in. Somehow sin is destroying us. I have to stand on his word for my way of life. Stand on his word for my victory. Amen? Everybody awake this morning. Now, Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there's no tears. But Christians, you know, hey, depression happens. No. In heaven, there's no pain. Well, what do you do when things happen? Things do happen. What do you do when rough stuff happens? It does. I go to the word for my reaction. I go to the word for my perspective. I go to his word for my direction. Amen. That's how I find out. That's how I deal with it. I don't deal with it by Facebook's things that they put on there or by the news or by the radio. I don't deal with it from their perspective. I deal with it from the Christian perspective. That's how I deal with it. That's God's will for my life. The answer for prayer is not changing God's mind. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is about changing our own hearts. The reason I have not is because I'm the one with the perspective problem, not God. God's not up there going, you know, I'm just not really feeling like giving it to you today. Like some abusive parent. That's not what he is. He's not a child abuser. He's a loving God. He's already provided everything we need. And John says, when you people of God 
who believe in Jesus as the Son of God, you can know when you go to prayer that you're going to get what you ask because you're asking it according to His will. You can't ask according to His will if you don't know it. You can't. So how do I become a strong Christian? You read your Bible. You do what your Bible tells you to do. And you pray your Bible. Every situation. And the Bible says you will receive everything that you're asking God for. Okay? Prayer is not manipulating God. It's not using God to get our way. It's aligning ourselves to God's way. That's what prayer is. God doesn't need to be convinced. He doesn't have to be reminded of, of, of you know what, God, you said you blessed me. And God's going, oh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I forgot. No, 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 no. When it says to remind him, what he's saying is, I want you to remind me that your heart is right here in line with what my word says. So when I've got a situation going on, my friends, I pray the word. I don't pray my feelings. I don't pray my despair or my doubt or my unbelief. I pray the word. I pray the word in every situation. I know when I'm speaking God's word, it's going to be correct. And it's going to be right on line with his will. Amen? Let's look at verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, I got to tell you, man, if I was talking to John, I would have been like, dude, you need to polish up those two verses, because that is the most confusing way to say something I have ever heard in my life. Right? There's sin that leads to death. There's not sin that leads to death. Now, I'm not saying pray for the sin that leads to death, but the sin that leads to death. And if the sin leads to death, then death is death. And death is sin. I'm like, what? And people have debated this forever. What is John talking about? First of all, understand that he just told us that as Christians, you can have everything you asked for if it matches this. And we just talked about the fact that sin gets in the way and steals that from me. So now John gets into sin. First thing he says is, when a brother or a sister sins, pray for them. That God will bring them life. I thought we weren't supposed to judge each other. I thought we were supposed to let people live and let them live their lives. And who are you to say they're wrong? That's the message that we're being fed by the media. I thought you can make your decision and I make my decision your decision's yours, my decision's mine. Who am I to say you're wrong? Who are you to say I'm wrong? If that's the case, then John was fruity. Because John said, if I see somebody out of line, pray for them. Which is it, Christian? You have to decide. Are you going to believe the message of an unbelieving world that says to you, you can go ahead and do anything you want and they can go ahead and do the opposite, and your job is just to ignore it. Hey, man, I'm going to let them live the life. It's my problem. Or are you going to be one who, when you see a Christian living a different way than the Bible says, you go to prayer for them? The difference is the brother and sister part. We're not supposed to walk out there in the world and point it out. Hey, what's wrong with you crazy people? They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're non-believers. We in the church, though, it's a whole different ballgame. If you see a brother or sister, John says, if you see a brother or sister, a fellow Christian who claims to be a follower of Jesus and they're living a lifestyle that's not what Jesus said in his word, 
then you need to pray for them. You need to point it out to them lovingly, other scripture says. Paul says, warn them. Then John gets into this. There's some sin that's bad, but there's this one sin, really bad. And there's a lot of debate about what that means. And I'm going to give you my take on it. There are probably like 500 books written on this subject. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew. Jesus says, I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. I believe that the sin that leads to death Blaspheming the Holy Ghost is basically denying, outright denying that Jesus is who he said he is. Outright denying it. Just saying, no. I'm just, I'm unrepentant about that. And there are a lot of people in our world doing that. That's what I believe. Now, I heard a pastor one time say, It's not easy to do that. It's not like it happens without you knowing it. You don't have to sit here tonight, today, this morning and go, well, have I done that? No, 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 no. This is somebody who knows what they're doing and is outwardly, vilely against everything that has to do with Jesus. The Bible says their conscience becomes seared. They can no longer hear his voice. They reach a point where they step beyond. Who knows where that is? God knows where that is. I don't. You don't. But there is a point where somebody is so vitriol against it. They're so opposite of everything Jesus. And they're starting to cause problems. And they're starting. John is writing, is telling. And then the people that are coming in, they're probably the ones doing that. They're leading people astray. They're just completely denying Jesus completely. He says, don't pray for those people. But when you see a brother or sister among you who is missing the mark a little bit, pray for them, encourage them, remind them of what God has. So that's prayer. Let's talk about holiness real quickly. Holiness. Understand that Christianity and sin does not mix. I'm not making it up. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm simply stating what the Bible says. Christianity and sin does not mix. There's no such thing as a Christian who lives in a lifestyle of sin. We don't have to attack every sin that's out there. We don't have to attack every single situation that's out there. We simply have to understand that Christianity and sin does not mix. Look at verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Anybody not understand that verse? No, we all know what it means. We all know what he's saying. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Do Christians make mistakes? Of course. Do Christians sin? Yeah. Not perfect. But anyone born of God, really born of God, does not continue to live in a lifestyle of sin. 
Because the one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. When you're really in Jesus, when you've got a vibrant living relationship with Jesus, when you're involved in a church filled with other people that have a relationship with Jesus and you're helping each other out and you're watching my back, I'm watching yours, we're all living together. I am not going to have to walk around being afraid of the devil or sin or anything because you have my back, I have yours, and Jesus is protecting me. So I don't have this, this idea from Christians that, well, Satan's just been beating on me all week. Well, stop letting him. Stop letting him beat on you all week. you got brothers and sisters around you who will help you. You have a word that's your sword that will defend you and the shield will defend you. But we're letting Satan do that. So John says, listen, anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Now, this is a different message than we're hearing today. Today we're hearing, well, you can be a Christian and live this other lifestyle, whatever that is. Pick and choose, my friends. Pick and choose. It's either this or it's every other philosophy that's out there. I don't have to walk around telling the unbelieving world that they're going to hell. I don't need to do that. But I am speaking to the Christian who's not living this and saying, quit your lying. Quit deceiving people. Quit making us look bad. Because we have a world that needs the message of truth. And we're trying to give it to them. So John says anyone who's really born of God is not going to live in a lifestyle of sin. Then he says, look at verse 19. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So Jesus, uh, John is saying this. John is saying, listen, we live in a world that's crazy. We live in a world that's being controlled by the devil. We live in a world that is their, their mindset, their perspective, their blindness, their, their goals, their dreams, their view of man, their view of how the world works, their view of reality is really, really messed up because it's being controlled by the devil. But we Christians do not live that way. We don't exercise our perspective like they do. We don't have the same thoughts as they do. We have a very different perspective as they do. And that's an important part to this. Look at the picture John paints of Satan. He says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You know what this is like? This is if you actually study the original language, he's drawing a word picture here. Of Satan, kind of like, uh, like Santa Claus. Not Santa Claus, really, but give the, go with the image. Satan is sitting on his throne, and he's got the world in his lap like a sleeping baby. And he's petting it and stroking it. He's saying, I love you, and I care about you. It's a deception. That's the image that John is painting here. A sleeping baby sleeping in the lap of the enemy. Understand that someone without Jesus is blind, the Bible says, deceived. They're like the sleeping baby sleeping in the lap of the enemy. They don't even know it. But Jesus comes, wakes up the sleeping baby, takes him out of the lap of the enemy and sets him on his own two feet and cares for him. That happened to me and that happened to you as a Christian. That's the image that John has drawn here. All right. So think about this. Holiness means God's children run into the arms of the father while the world sleeps in the lap of the enemy. 
There's a difference here. And that's what this whole book is about. The difference between the world mentality and the Christian mentality. I am not sleeping in the enemy's lap. I can see him clearly and I know exactly what he's doing. And I expose him and I live a different way of life. One more and we're done. Worship. Worship. There it is. Worship. Look at verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John is quite clear here. Nobody has to wonder what he's talking about. John says, listen, you want to be a Christian? You need to be in Jesus. You need to be believed that Jesus is the son of God and that he is eternal life. He is the only life you need. How do I know I'm a Christian? Do you believe that? Yes. Have you asked Jesus to come in and change your heart? Yes. Then you're a Christian. Welcome to the family of God. We're, ha- we're happy to have you. Now get busy. Start to live. Start to let it shine. Start to let it reflect in your life. So John says, listen, we know who is true. We can know. We don't have to wonder. We can know that we are in the truth because we are in Jesus. And then he wraps it up with one verse that feels out of place, but it's not. And I'll show you why. Last verse, verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's almost like when you read it, it's kind of like this afterthought. It's like John's writing all about Christianity. And he's like, I need one more verse because 20 just I don't want to end it on 20. I need 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Boom, that's it. Like tagline. Well, that's not really what's happening here. John understands that idolatry is a problem with the human spirit. Idolatry isn't, when you think of idolatry, don't think of little images made out of wood or stone, little gods that you put on your mantle and you bow down to. No, 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 that's archaic. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. John wraps up this long pamphlet about Christianity with the one thing that will stop us. Idolatry. Here's the way you look at it. Everyone worships something. You worship something. Whether you know it or not, you do. It's in the human DNA. You may worship fame. I just want to be famous. And you'll do anything to get famous. You may worship money, sex. You may worship yourself. You may worship somebody else. And you'll do anything to get that approval in your life. That's idolatry. Idolatry isn't just something primitive people lived under. It's something we today live under. When you put God above anything in your life, anything, That's idolatry. And you know what? God loves you enough to expose it again and again and again and again. A guy named Peter Creeve said this. The opposite of Christianity isn't atheism, but idolatry. The opposite of Christianity is idolatry. Loving and worshiping something else besides God. God has given us in his word the antidote for idolatry. Here's the idolatry test. You ask yourself these. What gets your money? That's your idol. What gets your money? 
Uh-oh. <laughs> what gets your money? Here's another one. What gets your time? What gets your time? Just evaluate your own life. Nobody's asking you besides Joe to shout it out. <laughs> what gets your time? What do you invest your time into? That's your idol. What gets your affection? Now, it's not saying that you don't have bills to pay. You don't have a family to take care of. You don't have a house mortgage to pay. You know how the word teaches us to keep money from being an idol? Anybody know how? There you go. If I give my first 10% to God and he makes the 90% work, he's first. How about time? What's an antidote to keep time being an idol? One thing, church, right? Prayer, devotional. There you go, yeah. I put God first. The first thing I do in the morning, after a shower, of course. Maybe I'm idolizing cleanliness, I don't know, but I spend time with Him. He sets my day. You know, nothing gets in the way of church. Nothing. Nothing gets in the way of church and God's people. That's how I keep time from becoming an idol. Anything that I'm placing affection on, anything that I'm placing above anything else becomes an idol in my life. And John says, listen, you want to be a powerful Christian? You got to watch this part. You have to always be aware of it. You can't let anything take the place of God in your life. The opposite of idolatry is worship. Worship. Worshiping Jesus will keep you from falling into idolatry. Let him be first in your life. Let him be number one in everything you do. Make him a key part of your life. And let everything else come out of that relationship. I promise you, I promise you, your life will get better. Everything will begin to change. I've not only seen it happen in my own life, I've seen it happen in other people's lives over and over and over again for the last 20 years. It's not a pipe dream. When you put Jesus first, when you put Jesus first over every area of your life, your life will get better. But if you don't, whatever idol you're worshiping will steal from you. That's how it works. So we've been going through this, and I, I hope that that's encouraging for you uh, on how to be a real Christian. We are interested as a church in building real Christians, authentic Christians. And so if that's your desire, then I'm glad you're here. And if you stand up with me, we'll wrap this up this morning. Um. If you have never uh, asked Jesus into your life, you can do that this morning. You can do it online. You can pray and ask him right now to become Lord of your life. You don't have to have everything mastered and figured out. You just have to simply believe. It's not hard to become a Christian. It's very easy. It's just receiving. Receive salvation like a gift. The problem is me getting in the way, my pride, my arrogance, my know-it-allness, my whatever. So I have to kind of step back and say, okay, I don't know everything. I'm going to trust you 
And then when I become a Christian, I get involved in church. I build relationships with other Christians, friendships. I begin a daily reading of his word and I learn what he's all about. Because, see, I've been living my whole life learning the other way. I have to unlearn that and learn a new way of life. So if you want to do that, I will definitely lead you in that this morning. Come up and see me. First John is a blueprint for how we're trying to run Living Word Fellowship. First John is a blueprint for how we're trying to run this church. I'm not interested in a church full of religious people. It bores me. It does. I'm interested in seeing Jesus change my life, change your lives, and change other people's lives. So therefore, every Sunday we get together and we learn together. And then, and during the week, we have homebrews where we learn together. And we have prayer nights and we have fun activities where we're learning and building and sticking with each other because we need each other. That's what we're doing. There's no secret here. Not everyone that comes to Living Word Fellowship may have that perspective. But the reason I can say that this church does is because I and my wife do. The elders do and their wives. Many of the key families of this church that have been here for years have this perspective. That's why I say Living Word Fellowship, this is our goal. If this is your goal, come on, get on board. Jump in. Jump in. Help us out. That's what we're doing. And we're building it. Last Sunday, we were packed. Thank you so much for those of you that invited people and they came, you know. And you're like, well, they, they wouldn't come back today. The seed was planted. I tell you, lots of people online were talking about good things. Why? Because people can spot a faker a mile away. And if we're just genuine and we say we really believe this, we're going to draw people into life. So I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Thank you, Lord, for what you have taught us through this entire book of 1 John. Help us, Lord, to first examine our own lives. Are we living the authentic Christian life? And then, Lord, as we continue to pursue that and strive after that, Lord, help our light our, to shine, Lord, into a world of darkness. And Lord, we believe that we're going to impact the world in a positive way because of what you're doing in our lives. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. I pray, Lord, that you would protect them, that you would strengthen them, that you would help them handle whatever situation they're involved in. And Lord, mostly that you would draw them closer to your heart, closer to your spirit. And Lord, we just we come back together on Friday night to pray for our nation, Lord. And we're coming together, Lord, next Sunday to continue to learn. And so we just ask that you bless, my friends, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week, my friends.